Many people have diverse religious backgrounds, not a single religious identity, and yet they have to figure out how to pursue their own religious convictions in a singular way. How to be generous about your background and take a position of your own religious convictions at the same time is part of the trick. Peggy Waymeyer, a religion reporter and freelance writer, has been learning how to do that, and she'll share her thoughts about that on Good God. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the show for a second time, Peggy Waymeyer. Peggy, glad to have you here. Thanks, George. Good to be here. Well, uh, Peggy is a freelance writer and a three decades long reporter on religion and uh, American culture. And so uh, we got to talking in the last episode and, and, and you referred to your own religious conversion experience at the University of Texas when you became a confessing Christian through a student group uh, that was working there on campus. Uh, and so as you developed your own uh, Christian identity and, and grew in your own Christian faith, there, there also came a really surprising moment for you where you learned some other things about your religious background. Tell us about the call from London with your grandmother. Oh, boy, you did go back and read those stories. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, well, I had grown up uh, for all kinds of complicated reasons with my father in a lot of different countries and states and places. And after I became a Christian, I wanted to go off and do summer mission work with one of these campus groups. And I did. And I called uh, my grandmother, I guess, called me for my birthday or something. I was in San Francisco. I was on the West Coast. And she was in London. And she said, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm being a missionary for this summer. And she said in her thick German accent, how can you do that? You're a Jew. Hello. Hello. I said, really? Did I get the right number? <laughs> You're a Jew. And all of a sudden, I start putting together my mother's German accent, her German accent, that whole family being in South America and England. And uh, uh -huh. so I started... Uh, Asking questions. How was this kept from you until your college years? My father hated Jews. Oh, but he married one. He met my beautiful mother in a Swiss train station in Geneva, where she was working for the United States mm -hmm. after having, uh, working, I'm sorry, for the United Nations after having escaped the Holocaust before the war. Um, and he was working for Gulf Oil in Venezuela and was gallivanting around Europe on a trip and met this beautiful woman. The only problem was she was a Jew. So he told her. Now, my mother, as you, uh, many people may know, that some Jews like to tell the story uh, painfully so that everybody remembers. Many, many European Jews changed their names, got baptized, go underground, never want to talk about it again. Survival is the number one name. That's what my yeah. family did. Right. So it was easy for my mother mm -hmm. to say, I love you, I'll never say I'm a Jew, I'm not Jewish. They had changed their name from Cohen to Koch. Mm -hmm. uh, my grandfather had had all the children baptized in the Episcopal Church, even though they didn't practice, so they would look more German. Mm -hmm. But the Nazis didn't care, they wanted to kill all of them, and so they mm -hmm. happened to escape because they had enough money. And my mother, they were very quiet about being Jewish, as many mm -hmm. Jews are. Anyway, 
So she came, my father put her on the Queen Elizabeth, brought her to the United States, married her, and uh, she never told anyone she was Jewish, wow. including us. Wow. So when, when this conversation happened with your grandmother, this must have created all sorts of uh, new curiosities on your part. And uh, where did that lead you in terms of, you're, you're a reporter, you well, have a journalistic I, I, instinct I, I, I anyway. wasn't a reporter yet, but I was in right. college and I remember um, calling my Aunt Dorothy, my calling my mother, and yeah, calling my mother who said, uh, I don't want to talk about it. I said, wait a minute. Grandmother said we're Jewish. You grew up in Germany. Germany, Jewish, Hitler, Nazis. What happened? I don't want to talk about it. Call hmm. your aunt. Wow. So I called my Aunt Dorothy. She said, well, of course you should know this. Yes, but I don't want to talk about it. The only one who talks about it is your Uncle Ludwig, who was in Buchenwald. And oh he goodness. only talks about it if he's drunk. We never ask him. If you can get him to talk about it, you can get on a plane and come to England and see if he'll talk about it. Mm. So I got on a plane. I let them all know I was coming. My aunt and other relatives told my uncle Ludwig, who I'd never met, that uh, one of us has been saved by Jesus and wants to know about the Holocaust and she's flying over to meet you. Will you talk to her about it? He said, I don't know. So I went to meet this amazing, he was a professor at the University of London. They were all brilliant. One of my relatives was a Nobel Prize chemist from Cambridge. Wow. They, they were very different from my father's family. I didn't yeah. know these people because yeah. I had not grown up with them. Right. Anyway, we were driving to a train station together, Ludwig and I, to pick up his daughter, my cousin uh, Ruth. And he we were early, so he pulled over on the side of the road in his little car on a street in London, and he looked at me and he said, so you found God and I lost him. Oh my. That was the introduction in a very thick German accent. Wow. And then I knew I had struck gold, meaning yeah. he was gonna talk. Yeah. And he told me terrible, terrible stories right. about my family wow. and what he had gone through mm -hmm. on Kristallnacht. He had been rounded up in Kristallnacht with yes. my aunt, another, Cousin, I, his sister who I met, the Nazis had put them in lorries and taken them over the border. He was put in Buchenwald. People, the soldiers marched across their heads. He showed me his tattoo. He turned out, I found, learned that my grandfather got him out of the camps because in the early days, if you had enough money, you could pay the Nazis yeah. to release certain. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I, I started corresponding with him regularly and mm -hmm. I, was so moved and it was so a part of me even though my father had ripped that from me for so long that right. I, um, it's a weird thing because <laughs> I thought, so, am I a Jew or I, I'm a Jew who believes that Jesus was the Messiah. So I try never to offend Jews by talking about being a Christian because that's painful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't like telling Christians I'm a Jew because they want to mark me up as one of their chosen Mm -hmm. You know, then you're, oh, you're one of the... You were a Messianic Jew. A Messianic Jew. Right. And that right. offends my family. So I'm sure. in a, it's a sticky place to be. So, yeah, I, I was, I, I was going to ask you how you navigate that sticky place because it, it really is a difficult um, conversation, both for Christians and Jews, to, to be in that place. I don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because well, what it's it so meant to intimate. You? Okay, that's it's so intimate to me. Mm-hmm. It's so personal that I don't want people who can't understand to uh, right. bastardize it in some yeah, way sure. by making me a token Messianic Jew right. or being hurt that I've left the right. family. Um, right. What does it mean to me? It's really precious. It's a precious thing. Okay. I do feel uh, not mixed up and upset about it. I feel very special. Okay. I feel like Wow, I came from this amazing family. The Cohens are from the tribe of right, Levi. The Levites. They're Levites. Right, exactly. So I tell my daughter, who's now a minister, right. that she's a Levite, a priest. Right. Um, I love the Jewish people. I love right. feeling like I'm Jewish. But I, the hard part is sometimes I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I feel guilty that I didn't suffer like they did. I feel right. guilty calling myself Jewish because it's such a privilege to me. But you know, in our Christian tradition, Peggy, we we forget sometimes that the mark of being a follower of Jesus is to be willing to enter into his sufferings, mm-hmm. which is in solidarity with the suffering of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem with the American church especially is the triumphalism that seems to suggest that we have somehow, um, because we uh, follow the Christ who was raised from the dead and conquered death, we are part of the victorious religion that supersedes all others and, uh, and, right? And so we adopt this sort of notion of privilege uh, that suggests that we we should just be experiencing the victory of faith in um, abundant living and not joining into the suffering of the world voluntarily, which is what Christ did himself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you by, your, well. by your solidarity with your Jewish family and by the, the very fact that you have some measure of discomfort, the, this, this sense of dissonance, to me that's that's actually a gift to the church, too. Uh, Are you a pastor? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you I, think? That's, that's such a wonderful thing to say. Thank you. That, I, yeah. that, that's very comforting. Because yeah. it is a di- dissonance is a good word for it. I feel dissonant sometime, t- sometimes, but uh, I feel like God, if he's there and real, he's spoken to me in a way where he has said, you're my beloved daughter and you're both. Right. It's all right to believe Jesus is the Messiah, mm-hmm. and it's all right to love and belong to this precious family who I also love. Right. Which came home to you very powerfully when the massacre happened at the Pittsburgh synagogue a few months ago, right? And uh, tell us about your feelings uh, in hearing about that and, and what you did with them. I think, actually, it's not just Pittsburgh, because all those details are not as fresh. I do remember, mm-hmm. but it's even more current as I read about Brexit, for example, and what's happening with mm-hmm. the Labor Party in England. Okay. Every time now I read about this rise of anti-Semitism mm-hmm. and what's happening in our country mm-hmm. with um, the female Muslims uh, congresswoman. Uh, I- I- Ilan Omar. Thank you. I- Ilan Omar. Who right. said some anti-Semitic things. Right. Now, for some reason, I feel more Jewish. 
when I hear these ah, things, because it's anti-Semitism, the reports are ri it's rising all over, which is crazy. Like, right. why? Right. Why do you hate Jews? Because they've been the scapegoats in, uh, uh, it's unbelievable. in history. And so for some reason, George, mm -hmm. Pittsburgh maybe launched it for me, mm. but all of a sudden I feel like it's me. Uh, it could be me. Uh, Wow. You want to kill me, and I embrace that. I don't want to run from it. Mm. I am like, no, I am with them. Wow. Okay, that's that's, that's how I feel. The the solidarity of that is 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 part of maybe what this love your neighbor is really all about. Carl uh, Bart talked about uh, how w what it means to love your neighbor as yourself is really to imagine that you yourself are your neighbor. But I am my neighbor. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, right. you're right. It is, right. if we can even imagine it with other people. Right. But I actually. I, because I, you are, let me just you tell are Jewish you, as well as Christian. That's I have had come to grips yeah. with the fact that mm -hmm. if I had been born in Berlin, like my mother, right. instead of here, right. I would have been put in a camp. Right. Even if I believed in Jesus. Yes. Yes. Right. Because I'm a Jew. I'm a Cohen. Someone else has decided. Yes. you and, and 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 you know really when you think about it this is part of what's different about um, about Christianity is how much of a choice we make uh, to be Christian versus almost every other religion that you sort of grow up in it and you are because of your family that mm -hmm. sort of thing maybe that's been somewhat increasingly true about Christianity but uh, but Christianity is really rooted in this sense of choice, of personal choice, yes. uh, unlike other, other religions. So, uh, so you, you identified um, with, uh, with the one who was being victimized, which is really um, exactly what Jesus did uh, in identifying with the criminals, the marginalized, the rejected, and uh, his, his crucifixion was uh, an invitation for us to see where God identifies uh, with the world, isn't it? So yes. uh, in a way, I think that that's a powerful thing. Uh, I want to come back and talk after the break with you about uh, some of the ways in which uh, the church in America today, that as you've experienced it, is wrestling with um, the political situation, uh, patriarchy and the Me Too movement and things that you've written about and are passionate about. Uh, let's pick it up there after the break. Okay. Okay. Good. Compassionate DFW is striving to make Dallas-Fort Worth more intentionally compassionate, where everyone is committed to live by the principles of compassion and the golden rule. It works through diverse initiatives, arts, business, education, environmental, healthcare, religious, spiritual, interfaith, and more. Visit CompassionateDFW.org to get involved. We're back with Peggy Waymeyer. Peggy, we were talking about uh, your Christian faith, and you, uh, you you went to seminary for a time, and you have identified as an evangelical Christian for most of your life, although you've been um, moving to a deeper appreciation, especially through your daughters, uh, who have, um, uh, you have a daughter who's an Episcopal priest, right? And oh, Methodist. Methodist, Methodist, Methodist minister, minister. Yeah. okay. But yeah. you have another daughter who's an Episcopalian. She's Episcopalian, but she's a federal public defender. Aha, uh -huh. okay, all right. <laughs> yes. So 
it, it, you've moved and, and you're worshiping in a Methodist church yes, now. I and am, so, yeah. so you, you have a lot of the mainline Christianity now in your family as well. But in these recent years since uh, the election of 2016, uh, the religious tradition, the Christian tradition that nurtured you and really formed and shaped you uh, in evangelical religion has come under tremendous um, criticism, much of it justified, I think, uh, but, uh, but its support of Donald Trump and of uh, uh, the right-wing politics of, of this era has been troubling to you and you've written about it and you thought initially surely some of the um, sins and foibles of uh, of the president would you know be criticized because that's your experience always was that the that family values and personal holiness was what evangelical christianity really focused on and suddenly that wasn't true that was an awakening to you can you say more about that well that's very, I remember when I covered um, Bill Clinton's presidency and he had his affair with Monica Lewinsky and I was sent out by ABC to interview a big Baptist minister in Texas who, who, who was gonna be preaching about it the Sunday after. So I went to a big church here and I remember the pastor came up to me and said, oh, we just, this president, we just don't know what's wrong with him. It's, and of course he was gonna preach about it. He goes, what do you think is wrong with our president? And I'm getting off topic here, but I remember it just came out of my mouth. I didn't mean to, but I, I liked this pastor. I said to him, well, I said, I think that probably what's wrong with this president is, is exactly what's wrong with half your elder board and your last pastor. <laughs> uh, meaning, stop judging. Right. You're, you're, you're making a huge political issue about this because you don't like the Democrats, right? Yeah, Not right. that I was supporting what Bill Clinton did, right. but my point here is there was so much criticism of Bill Clinton when he did it and that we need this moral that, that how you how your moral life is really does matter about your character which really matters as president and now we have Trump who is much more um, immoral right. or has many more sins publicly that we see uh, than we did with Bill Clinton I think at least and and there's this overwhelming support in my church for this man. I don't think, George, I would mind, I would understand and be more empathic if I heard people saying, we hate the way he is, we think he's dangerous, we, we hate a man who lies and a leader right. who lies, but we're in such bad shape right now and the alternatives are so horrible and I care so much about abortion or gay marriage or whatever it is they care about that I've just had to rack my brain and do this. That I could, you could understand. Guess. Right. But, the, but the fact that they all, it's this, this political tribalism in our country now where everybody has to defend them completely. But Christians, mm -hmm. my people. right. And so I find myself standing up saying, but wait a minute, you guys. We, we've got to speak out against this, this, and this, whether it's children at the border, whether it's cutting back on right. aid and your, to. And your kids were, uh, were part of your. Oh, my children, who I adore and I'm very right. close to, my grown right. daughters who have become activists on behalf of Jesus on the other side. Uh, they would challenge Social me all the time. Yeah. Yes, and when you love your children, you're, you better let your children talk to you. So I started listening at the dinner right. table instead of preaching. I was always mm -hmm. preaching to my daughters. Mm -hmm. I remember like my daughter who's a federal public defender, I'd say, honey, in the beginning, 
you're on the wrong side. You, you need to go after the bad guys. Yeah. You need to be a prosecutor. And she'd go, Mom, what is wrong with you? <laughs> didn't uh, you teach me anything? Yeah, didn't you? Jesus is with Mark. I said, but these guys do bad things. Right. They go, they do bad things. I'm not saying they're not guilty, but they're discriminated against. They get unfair sentencing. Nobody listens to them. No, you know, if Jesus were here, he'd be here in these prisons. And I resisted and resisted. And then I started just listening. I thought, you know what? Sh- I-, I wouldn't do that. I, I would be more comfortable being a prosecutor, but I totally see how Jesus would be where she is. Right, right. And my children have focused on different parts of the Bible. Right. So the the problem with being um, a, a person who reads the Bible is that the more you read it, the more you realize what you've missed. Would you, you know, well, the more you realize, you know what? Still, you know, what bothers me most about being a Christian. I thought it was so simple. When I first became a Christian, it was so beautiful. The stars were shining. Right. It's Jesus. You know, it's the creed. He came. He died. He rose. He loves you. He's with you. Right. He, he, the Holy Spirit's inside of you and guides you and tells you. And you just open this book and everything for life is right here. Yes. Well, I remember reading stuff in the Bible going, ugh, ugh. What do I do with this? What do I do with this? And people would say, ignore that part. Ignore that part. Ignore that part. Then I'd meet people who'd go, no, pay attention to that part and ignore this part. Right. Everybody was picking and choosing. Right. I still have trouble with the Bible. Mm-hmm. Really. I, it's like, how are we supposed to know how to read the Bible? Well, then you go, this theologian says, read it this way. That one says, read it this way. So the way I believe and my family believes is we have got to be pure hearted and honest the way we come to God. We want to love him with our heart, soul, and mind without a political agenda. I want to be able to say to Jesus, which is scary, whatever you've said in the Bible that's clear and true, I will follow to the death. I will. I, I, I want to be so faithful to you that when it's clear, I will obey you. But there's so much that's not clear that I've come back to the, what Jesus said. All of it's summed up in two things. I'm so thankful for that. All these other things aren't clear to me. If you were to back me up against the wall and say, what does God say about marriage? I would probably say from Genesis to Revelation, it looks like a man and a woman and a family. You know, I would say that, but I'm not going to say it anymore because everybody's fighting and debating it. And I, I, I don't know. I do know this. I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, to obey him, follow in his ways and to love my neighbor as myself. And what does that look like? That's gonna take the rest of my life to keep figuring out, and that's where I'm gonna focus. You know, in a way, the, the love God and love neighbor sums up the, 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 the unity of, of a personal spiritual holiness and social justice at the same time, doesn't it? Yes. And, and it seems like we, People of left and right, whether religious or not, seem to focus always on one or the other instead of both at the same time. Uh, why is it why is it necessary to choose between those two? Uh, shouldn't they be held That's a together? Good point. You mean they're either loving God and trying to obey what they see as the commandments, or loving their neighbor to the point of accepting anything goes, it doesn't matter what God says? Well, that's one way to put it. I, I was thinking of it a little differently, and that is to, to say that I think many in our Christian traditions 
uh, you can sort of divide us up as to whether we're focusing more on the authenticity of our faith being judged just in terms of our personal oh, relationship yes. to God on the personal one hand versus social gospel, versus social yeah. gospel right. where oh. we're caring for the way people live in the world and, and whether there's a, a level playing field and whether people have an opportunity for the fullness of life. And I so. would say this, good luck finding mm -hmm. a church that's balancing the two. Yeah. It's impossible. Well, like it, I said, it's almost impossible. It's yeah. very difficult. I, I, I think it's very, very difficult. But <laughs> Churches I, I, do one and, or the other. Well, yes, and as a pastor, I will tell you. You would like to think you're doing both. I would like to think I'm doing well, but I think I'm realistic about it too, in the sense that um, I, clearly I think probably people in our church would say we focus more on the social justice aspect now uh, than we did maybe 30 years ago. Um, but I think part of that is ab about reacting uh, in, in t terms of creating more of a balance, the, the fierce urgency of where we are in a, in a given time. Yes. Um, but, um, but at the same time, I am sensitive to the critique that, um, that doing so creates uh, the impression that your faith is political in an inappropriate way. Right. Now, I, I always respond to that by saying, yes, my faith is political, absolutely. It's just not Democrat or Republican, right? It's political in the sense of, if you're gonna follow Jesus, it's gonna take you into the world, and that's gonna make right. you confront certain things that you absolutely have to. It's not partisan. But I also think that people uh, are right when they say that they, they'd like to, They'd like to hear uh, some of the language of, of, of beauty and prayer and uh, some of the good things about life that are uh, not just about the latest crisis or about, about uh, what we should be doing somehow at the polls or in Austin or in Washington or whatever the case may be, but it should be about the character of the soul's formation and, uh, yes. and those sorts of things at the same yes. time. Yes, like, and, and, and I'll, I'll confess that if I had to choose, mm -hmm. for me, I would choose a church that so focuses on um, the contemplative life, like how in the world, in, in this world, do I stay connected to the Spirit of God mm -hmm. in such a way that I hear His voice, that I follow His commands, that I mm -hmm. know how to go out in the world right. and respond to things, but I stay so in communion with Him mm -hmm. and so in love with Him, which yes. is the first commandment, right, right. so in love with Him that all I want to do is delight in Him and enjoy Him right. and follow His ways forever, whatever the cost to me. Right. Whatever the cost, Jesus sacrificed his life for us. We sacrifice, we lay down our lives and that's where we find life. Mm -hmm. It's that constant paradox. Right. You lose your life to save it. Mm -hmm. So I would rather be, if I had to choose, in a church that was teaching me how amazing God was, how real God is, mm -hmm. how to experience God in a way where I'm brave and courageous enough to lay down my life for a living God who I'm truly, honestly connected to in my soul so that I can go out into the world and be um, a light bearer 
I can't do it without being fueled by his light. I think you're taking to preaching here now, actually. I'm sorry. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, but you brought up the two I different did, I did. I did. And I'm delighted by this that. This is what I want in a church. I understand. And I think that's actually something that instead of making church about choosing what Generation X or the millennials want or the baby boomers or whatever, everybody wants this, don't they? I mean, it, it seems to me that finding that uh, depth and breadth both uh, is, is what we're after because we don't get that in other places in the world. Uh, when you come to church, there is an invitation to consider the, 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 that the world is more than what you can see with your eyes and experience with your senses, uh, and that uh, it's possible for you to be different tomorrow than you are today if you allow the power uh, of God to be at work in your life. And so, uh, and who else is saying want. that? Who we else? want the power. That's, no, who else is that. saying it? Exactly. And so, you know what my mantra is for this Lent? Tell me. Care less, trust more. Hmm. Now, what I mean by that, I use the word care because I hate the word worry, but instead of fretting about everything I see with my eyes right. and trying to fight this battle, that battle, decide what I believe about this and that, which is all important, but we're being barraged with it. Right. Care about these things less and trust God more so that you have the groundedness and the peace and the faith to go out and move in the parallel world that you see. Well, Peggy, I think uh, God has given you some unique experiences that uh, are making you a witness, uh, even in this stage of life, which is still something you're figuring out. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Who isn't? Yeah. So thank you for sharing your journey with us and for being on Good God. Yeah, Always grateful for you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, George. Okay. Great. Gaston Christian Center is a forward-minded ministry providing space and services to nonprofit organizations and churches in Dallas. The ministries housed there include health services for low-income people, international relief, children's programs, and nine unique ethnic and refugee churches. To support their work, visit GastonChristianCenter.org.